This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to the No Near Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and James and Kevin are with me this week, no Natalie, I'm afraid. <laughs> stuck in an airport um, hopefully not in border control that would be bad um, but let's crack on Burnley beating 3-0 at Leicester City at the weekend second straight 3-0 defeat on the road not a great performance at all it's got to be said from Burnley but like with the Chelsea game I suppose we've got to accept that there are just going to be better teams than us in the league um, James 3-0 probably a fair reflection overall wasn't it I don't think we can really complain at that final scoreline no, I think it's fair to say we didn't really create a lot. Um, you know, it, it's disappointing because we've all talked about how maybe Dar should change the system, and I think in one game we've had the exact answer why he shouldn't change the system. Um, even though obviously we've maybe not done as well as we'd like out of the first few games, I think we've not been awful. You know, I think uh, against Hull we've, we've, we're maybe missing sort of that edge that could. Uh, could push us on to victory um, but in all the games so far maybe not Chelsea but Chelsea obviously a different case or a class act um, we've not been that far off the pace and then on Saturday we were it wasn't really like we are in the same same league as Leicester and it, it could have been worse but um, luckily it wasn't <laughs> yeah, it was only 3-0. Um, the disappointing thing for me was that the first half was quite even, although I think Leicester had better chances. Um, Stephen Defoe had quite a good chance from a header, pretty much the only clear chance we created in the game. And I felt like 0-0 would have been pretty fair at half-time, but then gave away a pretty sloppy goal. Um, Kevin Dash said it was four minutes of madness I decided at half-time, but... It was just two pieces of really, really bad defending. It wasn't madness at all. It was just a lack of defensive ability. Um, yeah. Um, so obviously it was a, it was a quite a needless foul to give away from from Loughton. Um, one of a, one of a couple of mistakes I think he made, um, especially you know towards the end of the half. When hopefully hope we could have uh, seen it out a little bit. Um, and then in the middle of, of the middle of the, of, of the penalty area. 
Mike, Michael Keane lo- loses his man far too easy. Michael Keane actually is completely, if you look at me, he's completely unaware that um, Slim, Slimani has, um, has, 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 yeah, he's completely unaware that he's no longer with him. Uh, Keane jumps up thinking he's challenging Slimani for the ball. I mean, it almost looks around, almost confused about where Slimani's gone and then he's headed into the back of the net. That was particularly poor from, from Keane, who I think is usually a lot better at that. He's usually a lot better at knowing um, what's happening in and around him. He's usually very, very organised in, in, in the box. I think he's very good, uh, very intelligent, but he was he, he completely lost it on that occasion. And the second goal, similarly, bad marking in the box. Um, we're also going to hear from Jim Lestervan later on. He points out Simone was very, very strong in the air, but we just didn't really seem like we had a, a plan to, to stop him. I don't know if that's fair or if it's just sometimes the player's got more power, more ability in the air. I, I, I think it's, it's probably a little bit of the both. It was... It, he, he, he's obviously very, very strong in the air, but... Um, and and you've got to you've got to give him credit as well for the way of okay of I think Michael Keane was was definitely a fault for for losing him. He was also very clever way he slipped around. And then the the header he got on that ball was was so powerful. It was so precise. It was a fantastic uh, fantastic header. So um, yeah, although Michael Keane Michael Keane at fault as well. You can't take anything away from, away from uh, Slimani as well, who I think did very very well with it. Um, mention the the change in tactics a bit earlier, James. It was a switch to four five one. First time this season, certainly that we've seen different formation and similar similarities in a lot of ways to the West Brom game when we played four five one in the Premier League last time, and again we're beating quite heavily on the road. Do you think it was the system that was to blame for the result, or, or the way the team was set up, or? Just one of those times when the other team was much better. What? Where do you think the responsibility lies? It's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because um, you don't know how long they've, they've had to work on uh, the, the different shape. And you know, obviously, we played four four two for a, a long time, with the exception of uh, obviously Stephen Reid's fantastic appearance at West Brom. Um, it's been pretty much the only formation we've ever played under Dash. Uh, so it's maybe a lot to expect us to change formation and immediately come out and play to the best of our ability in that that shape. But at the same time, I think there's still something there that if you're playing only one up front, I think you've got to really play to the one striker's strength. And that's something that I don't think we have particularly done with Gray, even when playing four four two. You know, I feel like there's a little bit more you could get out of him if you play more to you know, his strengths are sort of being able to hold a man off and, you know, run on to a ball um, because he's he's not always got the best touch. So you don't want to give him much to do with it, particularly when he's the only striker and he's easily going to get outnumbered. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, you look at who we're playing out wide and George Boyd in particular, is he going to give you enough creativity to, to get away with only having one up front? So maybe it is a combination of, you know, execution and personnel. Um, but there's not really a lot we can do now about getting another winger because we missed out in the window. That's absolutely right. We are stuck with what we've got. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see, to know, obviously it's something we, we can't, we probably won't ever know, but it'd be interesting to know how prepared we are for, we were for the change, this change to formation. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if Dice, if it's something we've done quite a lot of work with, uh, maybe Dice has thought over summer we need to be a bit more flexible and use this quite a bit more often, or whether it's something we've just done a little bit of work on and just maybe Dice has thought, you know, let's give it a go this time. Um, like James said, when we play with one formation the whole time, I meant to just instantly um, just change it and play something something different. Um, it's it's going to take a bit of adjusting uh, adjusting to, to to the players to come in and, and change their game to, to fit that new system. Um, and so yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if this is something we're going to use more often um, and whether and if if that was the plan, whether this this uh, the result against Leicester has changed that plan. Um, I hope I, I do hope that we we can be a bit more flexible. And we've criticised Dice for um, for being too stuck in, in in his own his own his own formations, his own tactics. Um, and so we've got to applaud him really for doing something different. I, I think we I joked when the team sheet came out on on Saturday. This this podcast was going to be just forty five minutes of stunned silence. Um, so I don't think we can call for a formation change and then as soon as it doesn't work in one game against, let's be honest, the, the champions of England um, say that it's, it's a complete disaster and it's not going to work again. Um, I hope it is that it's something we've worked on quite a lot and it's not just a let's just give this a go. Um, I hope it's something we've put quite, a, put quite a bit of work in over the last few months on the training ground and it's something we can use um, here and there when, when, it's, when it's appropriate and also ch- ch- making that change throughout games as well. Yeah, I think um, a few things from me really in the I thought the mentality was quite poor on Saturday as well. It was all really well talking about systems and team selection and once the players are out there I think they have to take some responsibility. The the concern for me was that after the second goal went in there was definitely some heads dropped and it didn't ever feel like we were going to get back into the game. And all right, the chances were remote at 2 0 down at Leicester City, who are the champions, but you can't just be giving up on games. I don't think there was anyone out there geeing people up. Um, obviously, Joey Barton's had a bit of a difficult week at Rangers, but that's the sort of thing he did last year. And I don't think there's anyone doing it at the moment. Um, lack of any attacking threat whatsoever has. The others two have pointed out already. If you're going to play Gray up front on his own, you've got to play through his strengths. I think if there's going to be a man up front on his own, it can't be Andre Gray because I don't think he can hold the ball up. I think Volks would have to be that man. And I've said this on the podcast before and got stunned silence, but Andre Gray would have to play on the wing if you're going to do that. Um, so a few concerns, but I think the biggest thing I'm worried about after that game is that Dash will use it as an excuse not to change from 4-4-2 again and he'll just use it for the rest of the season and say well I changed it once and we got battered and I think that would be a bit of a strange way to look at it when I don't think the team was set up um, particularly well Kevin Yeah I, I know what you mean about the heads dropping and maybe it's um, maybe it's knowing the context of it makes me feel this way but I'm not sure we I'm not sure we concede that that goal, uh, the third goal, sorry, at a different point in the game, uh, or even this season, uh, last season, I think Ben Mee essentially just throws himself onto the ball and just just gets anything what we've on it, and it doesn't seem to be that real purpose of getting it getting it away from goal, which we might be if it was if it was nil nil, um, you know, it might be me looking at that in a different way because I know that we were two nil down and not doing particularly yeah, well at that point. Twenty twenty hindsight but, type thing. Yeah, absolutely, but. 
I've, I've, I've watched the goal three, about three times on repeats now, and I'm really not sure that Ben Mee attacks that ball in the same way as he, he would do if it was if it was nil nil. I certainly don't think he had to to put it in his own net. You see a lot of own goals where you're like, well, if he didn't put it in, the strikers behind him, he's going to score, or he's tried to do something, it's just gone wrong. I, I, I think it's a really poor own goal to be honest. All right, the game's lost at that point, but I think um, if we talk about why players should maybe be left out and somebody else come in. Um, that's certainly got to go down as a as a Ben Me mistake for me. Um, James Jeff Hendrick made his his full debut in midfield, albeit in slightly unfamiliar surroundings, maybe in the three man midfield. How do you think he got on? I think I think he was one of the few positives actually. You know, he had a he had a decent game, but it's going to be hard to really judge him until we play some semblance of good football around him because obviously one man playing all right isn't going to keep us up this season. Um, And I think we need to be able to see what he can do when the team are on song and, you know, if he can have a a big influence in those sort of games. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Defoe played well in the first half, although he missed that good chance. I was looking at some of the stats and Defoe's pass completion was actually above 90% which is always good, above 90% is very, very good, but particularly in such a poor team performance, I think was a sign of how well Stephen DeFore played. Um, individually, I think DeFore and Henry were probably the only two who performed anything like to an acceptable level. There were some very, very poor performances, both fullbacks I think were particularly bad. Loughton especially, I think, probably should have been sent off. Um, for the tackle on Albrighton in the second half. Um, Kevin Andre Gray, there's a bit of concern around him. The last couple of games, he's not really had a kick of the ball, to be fair. He had one shot against Leicester that he created for himself from a throwing, which shows how awful the service was to him. Some people suggesting that the ongoing um, investigation, is it still an investigation? The, the social media tweets thing that we covered a couple of weeks ago, maybe distracting him a little bit or is it just a case of the team's not doing enough to help him um i'm not sure really about that um it, it could be but i think there's probably a mix of it, a few things with it. i think one is that actually he he's not he's not always created that much himself really he's very much um needs needs to be things to be created for him i think and he can pick up the ball, he can run past players, but he's not the sort of player who's going to um, be able to thrive without that, that real service, I don't think. Um, second, I think, actually, he, he did have a couple of spells last season when he, was, when he wasn't particularly at, at the races. And I think the end of the season, um, I'm not going to say poor, but by, by certainly not at the level that he was earlier in the season. Um, so it's maybe a bit of a, a continuation from that. Um and purely, I, I think it's quite difficult to, to 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 judge any striker really when he's playing a team that just isn't isn't creating anything at all. And um, you know, we've, we've had a couple of quite poor performances. Um, so I think any any striker is really going to struggle when you've got um, the ball not really coming up towards you, not not really having anything to work from. So yeah, I think. I've not, I've not seen anything from him personally that suggests that the, the investigation is, is having an effect. You see the opposite. He, if he was getting the ball 
um, and still still failing to perform, to perform, you might be able to say that, but he's not really had enough football to, to, to say anything either way, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, he certainly seemed quite frustrated on Saturday, but I think that was totally understandable just from the lack of service, how difficult a game it was. If you're going to put Andre Gray up front um, on his own, you can't then just hammer the ball down the field and expect him to win it because... Their defenders, whereas Morgan and Robert Hooth, are massive. <laughs> They're going to win. They'd have probably won most stuff against Sam Butts in the air, but certainly against Andre Gray, he's got absolutely no chance. Um, it has to be a concern, though, doesn't it, James? Andre Gray was the guy we're all hoping was going to settle scores, goals. He's only scored one so far, but he's not. It's not like he's been missing chances. We're just not creating enough for him. Yeah, I can't remember seeing him have a. A real clear cut chance all season, I think. Um, still trying to think of one. Uh, no, I can't really think of one. We just don't give him the ball in, in the areas you need to give a, a goal scorer like him. Um, you know, and if you can't utilise having someone who's such a good finisher in your side, then you are going to struggle. Um, you know, we really need to sort of go back to basics from the point of view of feeding Gray. And you need to be looking sort of if he's between, uh, you know, the the outside lines of the six-yard box, then get into his feet and give him a chance to, you know, bury it first time. I think far too often he's getting the ball sort of edge of the box and he's he's being pushed wide. And I know we've seen him score goals from, you know, ridiculous angles, but you can't expect it. And um, I think, you know, when it's in the Premier League as well, he might need 10 chances to, to score once. In which case, you want to give him ten good chances so that you know he's he's got a better chance of, of getting that goal. And I think if we don't change how we feed Gray, we're really going to struggle for the rest of the season. I agree, and it, it's it sounds bold to put it that way, but I think the main reason we got relegated two years ago was because we didn't score enough goals. That was the primary reason for me. But the strike force I felt was was okay. Danny Ings had quite a good season, although. He, tailed off towards the second half maybe when there was a little speculation about Liverpool and all that was going on maybe a bit of a distraction but he scored like nine goals which was alright I think for a team towards the bottom we just didn't create enough and it's the same this season I think it's still early days we're above the relegation zone so no one wants to get too carried away with pointing out things that are going wrong but it just feels like two years ago to me it doesn't feel like We've got a better plan. I don't know if that's that's fair or if people are going to be sat at home listening thinking it's a bit knee-jerk, isn't it? We've got beat by Leicester and Chelsea, two of the best teams in the league. Um, but Kevin, have you seen anything different from two years ago to suggest we are better equipped than last time? Um, I, I think there are certain areas. I think we're, we're, we certainly look stronger in, in central midfield. Uh, the, the addition of Defoe will... If we stay up, we'll be we'll be pivotal. I think so far he he's looked fantastic, and um, that's um, the one area we're certainly going forward that, that I think we, we've got an improvement on. And the, the biggest concern for me um, is is out wide. Um, I think we we struggled there two years ago, and we're struggling perhaps even more so this time. Uh, I don't think we've got a single wide player who is. Anywhere up to up to the standard, to be honest. Um, Boyd had some decent 
some decent performances uh, two years ago in the Premier League. I think he certainly played better in the Premier League than he did um, in the Championship for most of last season. But he's been far, far uh, from the races this year. Uh, I know bash, bashing Boyd um, is is quite easy. Not a very, it's not a very original take, is it? <laughs> it's not. Um, and I think actually, I think of a lot of time, the, the criticism, criticism of Boyd has been probably a little bit harsh. I think a lot of things he does um, might not be as pretty um, as a traditional winger, but sometimes it's a bit more effective than it looks. But this season... No I, one's run further in the league. Uh, oh, of course, yes. I think he's, 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 he's number one again this year. I think so. Um, but but you know, this season, I, I, I've not seen any from him, from him at all, uh, which has impressed me so far. Um, Arfield, similarly, um, very, very quiet. Um, Goodmanson uh, hasn't shown me uh, me anything. He's had not as not as many, not as much opportunity as as Arfield and and Boyd yet. But the the, the periods he has had on pitch, he's had a couple one one or two nice touches. Uh, but other than that, he's done nothing at all to, to suggest he's Premier League quality. Um, and we've got nothing nothing in reserve. I'd, I'd probably I'd, I think this is a sign of desperation because I'm not a fan of Kitely, but I, I think it's. I think it's a big concern that he's not had the game time yet, because he he just gives us something different to what what we've been lacking. He gives he, I think he's he's certainly going to be more more willing to to drive forward over wings, and that's just something we haven't had so far. But that for me that's that's the biggest criticism at all is that I'm actually I'm, I'm saying that we need to bring Kitely on to make a difference in the Premier League because he's not a Premier League player, um, and you know a lot many people will point to uh, as missing out on that winger. Um, um, on the on transfer deadline day, right at the end. But I think I think even if we got them, um, got him in, we'd still be we'd still be lacking um, depth in out wide. I think we need we, we certainly needed to have brought somebody in earlier than that as well. So that's the biggest concern for me because I think we've got a, a midfield central midfield that's strong in the middle in terms of a bit, a bit more strength in there. Um, but we've still not got anything that's going to be hugely creative and that's filling me with confidence that we're going to. Um, be able to score more goals than we did. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one out wide because Boyd and Arfield were the two wingers two years ago, and I feel like they both did okay, like probably a C minus overall for the season. They both had good runs of form and poor runs of form, but for me, they've both been very poor this season. And I know it's five games in, and I know we've played some good teams, but there's been nothing from either of them. And the problem is, Goodmanson hasn't done anything either. And yes, it's early days for him, and he's moving up a level, and the team he was playing for last season were very poor, and he was the only one creating anything, but there's been nothing. The free kick he hit against Leicester is literally the only thing he's produced in all the cha- all the opportunities he's had on the pitch. There's just been nothing from any of the three wide players. Um, James, we know you're a, a fan of Kitely, but generally, the wingers, they've going to have to start producing at some point. Absolutely. And uh, as you said, I, I, I do like Carly. I wouldn't say he's you know, the answer to all our problems. Um, you know, his best days are, are probably behind him. But I think he, he offers a, a willingness that we've not necessarily seen from our, you know, our other wingers. He's, when he gets the ball, he looks to do something different to, you know, to what Boyd does. Um, because sometimes when Boyd gets the ball, I, I'm not entirely sure what, his aim is that uh, you know, he doesn't seem to pick the ball with a purpose. Um, 
Whereas Carty, at least, always tries to get to the byline. And I know the end product's not always been great, but I'd rather someone sort of shins it across the six-yard box and it maybe bobbles in off someone than, uh, you know, runs in a circle and then gets dispossessed. Like, it tends to happen with Boyd. A quick one on Boyd, actually. Sorry to interrupt, but on that point, um, again, I was looking at the stats. And his pass completion against Leicester was 53.3%. Now, that means that... Pretty much every other time he had the ball, he gave it away. And that's just, it's completely unacceptable. But people still defend him. <laughs> like, Saturday was the breaking point for me with George Boyd. If he starts against Watford, I'll be yeah, that, I mean, that is an absolutely dreadful start. Um, it, it's really almost in, well, it is indefensible, really, to you know be playing as a, a Premier League winger and, and having that kind of pass completion. Uh, right, you know, I think the key thing for us as well this season is, you know, alongside taking advantage of what Andre Gray can do, is actually making sure we keep the ball more. I mean, so much of what has gone wrong for us in games is where we've given the ball away cheaply and other teams take advantage. You know, at the Premier League level, you will get punished if you, you know, make mistakes, and I think we've made far too many. Um, particularly in innocuous positions where really there's no need to give the ball away. And I think, you know, Judge Boyd is one who's, who's guilty of giving it away in positions where, you know, he's got other options of what he can do that won't run that risk. Um, but the yeah, the wingers as a whole, I think if you look at the area of our team that is a weak point, I mean, I know you'd maybe say we want another central midfielder, you know, maybe we want another top-level striker. But I think, you know, with Bamford, Volks, Gray... You're not looking too bad up front. I mean, in the midfield, we're not looking awful if we play two in the middle. Obviously, if we play three, then as it stands, one injury and we'd, you know, bring a kid in, uh, which isn't ideal. But when you look at the wings, I mean, we have numbers, but just none of them are really seem to offer anything different. I mean, I think Arfield and Goodmanson are meant to sort of be interchangeable and do the same thing, which is kind of play narrowish and not really as a winger. Obviously George Boyd's role is to run and, and close people down, which, you know, we've seen has been effective in the past, but when we're gonna get so few opportunities to attack, we do need a little bit of creativity, a little bit of wanting to run at people. Um because running off the ball isn't going to create goals every week. I know it did against Liverpool but there's going to be plenty of teams that won't get flustered by that pressure. You know, or they'll play the safe ball. Um, and we really need to be looking to get more of our wing, out of our wingers than just pressing. That's what I was going to say next, actually. I saw a comment online saying that um, the pressing works against Liverpool. Why can't we just press mistakes out of teams all the time? That can't be the primary attacking plan hope the opposition make a mistake is not a plan that's that's, that's just not <laughs> I was boggling at this comment how can anyone have actually thought that as an opinion and thought that was a reasonable thing to say um, yes it will work sometimes but you can't expect every game that pressing a team is going to create a goal, it's just not going to happen um, and there was so many in the first half you were talking about keeping the ball in the first half there was we know that Leicester likes to play on the counter, so that when we had the ball, they were quite content to just sit and let us have it. And even with having three central midfielders, 
the possession just went nowhere. There were so many times where it was just going across the back four, into one of the midfielders, back to the back four, across the back four. Like, there was no penetration from the midfield three. I'd I'd been advocating four three three, so when I saw the team, I was like, that, that could be all right, but the wingers were just far too deep. One of the problems for me is that we do, when we do get the ball, we're just way too far away from the opposition goal, and unless you can keep the ball and work it through the transitions properly, you're just not going to have a chance. And I think that's been the problem in the last two games. Um, looking ahead to what for them, we'll preview the game. Um, in more detail towards the end of the podcast but in terms of team selection I suppose are we expecting a return to four four two for Monday Night Football in front of the Sky Cameras Kevin do you think Dash will go back to, to what he knows the system that's worked at home already this season uh, yes I do um... <laughs> excellent next question I do hope that he's he's willing to be a bit more experimental and, and, and flexible with his with his tactics. But we know that his four four two is by far his, his favoured his favoured formation. I think if he is more flexible, it does change it a little bit. It is going to be a little bit. It's going to be a handful of games throughout the season, and uh, for the vast majority of games, we are going to line up in that in that four four two. And uh, I think particularly at home, that's that's certainly what he's going to go for. Yeah, I think um, one. Final, final point, because I'm boring myself going on about formations. I just think it was the wrong game to try it. Leicester play 4-4-2. There's hardly any teams in the league play 4-4-2. So to then not play 4-4-2 just seemed really bizarre to me. and just It felt like just a way to get Hendrick into the team. But Hendrick can play in one of the wide midfield roles, so he should have just done that instead. It felt like a bad call from the moment I saw the team. Um, to be honest, so hopefully we will see a similar shape again, but hopefully Dash will get it right. Um, we'll preview Watford in more detail at the end of the podcast, as always. But with Natalie um, missing, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know exactly where she is at this point. It's over to James for this week's Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, 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 Tweet of the Week. Indeed. <laughs> it's just like Natalie's here. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure Natalie normally does more digging than, than I've done for the two of the week. It's pretty <laughs> Have you only got one, or have you got about 16? <laughs> I, I tried to get a long list together, but I thought I can't quite do it the same justice Brommers does. Um, so I stuck to just one. Uh, it's pretty slim pickings this week, actually, if you're trying to look for something that doesn't make you want to uh, sit in a darkened room and cry yourself to sleep. So I've gone with Jimnar88. He said, fair play, Twitter Clarets fans. Sung their way through the 90 minutes. Can't really see what Dice was expecting, humping balls to Gray, though. Uh, I think it fits in pretty well with what we've been saying about utilisation of Gray and uh, whether it was necessarily Dash's fault that that's the route we took. I think, obviously, what we said previously about wingers playing too deep comes into a lot of it. But, you know, as long as we just try and hunt the ball to grey, then we're probably not going to get very far. Exemplary work filling in for the, the much-missed Natalie Bromley, star of BT Sport. You may have seen her on um, BT Sport. And it's almost as if we know what we're doing on the podcast because this week's Tweet of the Week was from Jim Knight 88 and here is Jim Knight, 88, Leicester fan who was at the game on Saturday, telling us what he made of Leicester's 3-0 win. 
Yeah, um, Leicester seemed to be struggling to break down quite a resolute um, Burnley backline. I think we almost play into Burnsley, uh, Burnley's hands a little bit um, for the first 40 minutes especially. There were a lot of long balls going, um, missing out the midfield completely, which normally, if if, if you're playing a defence with a high line, it's got a good idea if you can get Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez in behind the fullbacks. But on this occasion, you know, Ben Mee um, in particular and Michael Keane were very, very adept at just heading balls away in it. It seemed like we hadn't really looked ahead and planned for for Burnley, really, we, because everyone knows that's their strength. And Burnley were defending quite deep, sat on the 18-yard area, but they created a bit themselves. They weren't, you know, only there for a nil-nil. There was a couple of chances. One, I think the best probably fell to Stephen Defoe. Yeah, um, definitely. Kind of half an hour in or so, and he, yeah, it was a kind of knockdown header, and he had a good chance to to work Zila, but he just kind of headed it straight at him. And it was quite an easy save, which. For a keeper making his first Premier League start, is you know you want to try and work him a bit more than that in case there are any nerves in the system. But obviously, um, Islam Slimani, the, the debutant, got you up and running. It was a pretty soft goal from my point of view. Certainly a free kick that we didn't need to give away. And Dash felt it was four minutes of madness outside of half time, but really ruthless from Leicester's point of view. Yeah, um, Soleimani, certainly based on the, the 90 minutes that I saw in person, seems to bring something to the team that we haven't really had um, consistently because of the fact that Leonardo Ujoa doesn't start um, much anymore because Shinji Okazaki had nailed down that second striker position. Um, and that is kind of a brute strength in the air. When you look at we've got a lot of actually half-decent, if not very, very good set-piece um, specialists in terms of Mark Albright and Christian Fuchs, Riyad Mahrez are all quite adept at putting quite decent swinging balls into the area that could consistently trouble defences. The problem is we haven't really got anyone who's effective enough to consistently get on the end of them. And I suppose that's part of the reason we paid so much money for Soleimani. Um, he's got a proven record at a very, very good level. Played Champions League football for uh, Sporting Lisbon and, and has scored several kind of decent goals for them, and doesn't seem kind of out of his depth in that in that competition. So that's always a good sign. Um, and obviously, he has that link up with with Mares from Algeria as well. And he just looks a beast in the air. I mean, I didn't realise quite how big he was until I saw him in, in person yesterday. He's a brute. He's an absolute bull. Um, you know, he towers above a lot of um, a lot of players. Uh, maybe not above all the centre-backs that he's going to come up against, but he certainly looks strong in the air. And yeah, it was a kind of point-blank range finish. The, the Fuchs has to take a lot of credit for the goal because the ball in was superb. Um, as you say, it was a bit of a needless free kick, really. Um, it, the guy wasn't going anywhere. He kind of had it back to goal. It was maybe um, on the edge of the uh, level with the 18-yard area, but out on the uh, on the left wing. And he just got barged over. There was really no need to give it away. You know, the worst that can happen is that he plays the ball backwards and you have a chance to reorganise. So, yeah, I can see why Dyche is disappointed. Um, and then Burnley's heads just kind of never seemed to be in it, really. He was obviously saying quite disappointed that he G'd everyone up at half-time and they came out and did exactly the same thing in terms of switching off and letting us get balls in behind, which is you know the only way, really, we were going to trouble Burnley yesterday because we certainly weren't going to be able to play through them. You mentioned heads dropping there. I'm interested to get your take on that, watching it in person. I only saw it on the telly, but it, it certainly seemed that after the second goal when in Burnley just didn't believe that they were going to get anything out of the game. Yeah, it's it's weird, really, because for a newly promoted team who did so well last year, you would hope there is still some kind of resilience there in terms of people... 
having that fighting spirit. And yes, all right, the Premier League is, is, a, is a big step up for a lot of players. But a lot of Burnley players have, have been part of the squad before when you were in the Premier League a couple of years ago. So I would have hoped that there was slightly more resilience there. Maybe that's where there's a lack of leadership. Um, you know, it, I obviously don't know the, the Burnley squad as well as you guys, but certainly from for where I'm looking, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of leadership to step up on the, the pitch and say, right, guys, this is, you know, this is not over. It's 2-0, but 48 yeah. minutes on the clock at that no, point. I agree. I think after, after Barton life, that's something that's certainly lacking in the squad. We need yeah, a couple I mean, of others to, to step up and play that role. Maybe you got rid of a ticking time bomb with Barton there, given what's Maybe, happened yeah, the last couple of weeks. But in the same way, you need to replace that in the dressing room. And, you know, it, it's difficult because uh, obviously you guys haven't spent masses amount in the in the transfer windows, but it's it's never been your style to do so. And I know that's probably a disappointment to the Burnley fans, given that it's your second crack at the Premier League in, in three years. But yeah, from my point of view, you know, there was no one there motivating the troops. And to, to a certain point, I think Leicester switched off a little bit. We were quite content to play tippy-tappy kind of three or four-yard balls round in triangles at that point at 2-0 up because in reality we didn't really feel like I don't think we thought Burnley were going to score at that point not only because of the heads drops but also because the tactic just seemed to be to hump a long ball and hope Andre Gray would do something magic which when he's up front on his own against Robert Huth and Wes Morgan you're not going to get much change out of those guys when you're on your own you know he is quick but Hog, uh, Morgan and Hoof are, are no slouches and they're very, very positionally aware and, and you know, Gray was caught offside I don't know how many times it was. I would estimate conservatively six or seven times during the game. I don't know <laughs> that, if someone can actually correct me. Familiar. No, Gray is it's, offside yeah, a lot, he, generally. You can, and he was, I think, the leading candidate in terms of his head dropping. You can understand why. He's plough, ploughing a lone furrow and he wasn't really getting the support from the midfield that I think he would like. Um, it just seemed a bit of a, a pointless endeavour, really. That Dyche obviously changed it a little bit second half, but Sam Votes came on, did a little bit. But again, the game's gone by that point. If you're going to start trying to attack 10, 15 minutes before the end when you're 2 down against a team like Leicester, you know, we are no great shakes defensively. Um, you know, on a, on a day we can have off days, but we're perfectly adept at keeping out teams that are kind of have that one-dimensional approach when we're already 2-0 up. There's you know, no sense of nerves there. We just keep heading the ball away and try and pick people off on the counter-attack. Yeah, I agree. It was strange. Um, you must be delighted with the, the turnaround in the last week after a mixed start to the season, but to, to win in the Champions League and then get back to winning ways against us. It's all looking good again to be a Leicester fan. Yeah, it's... Um, you it's probably still haven't come down from the ceiling after last season. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's part of the reason that the the um, the indifferent form to the start of the season kind of hasn't really affected us as much um, because of the fact that I think a lot of people are still riding high on that title victory. And, you know, I don't know when people are going to come down from that cloud nine. I'm, I'm certainly nowhere near coming down from it myself. But it's it's one of those things where it kind of insulates you against criticism and poor performances because you've got that to fall back on. You know, all it takes is a little bit of perspective. And, yeah, we got, I mean, we got roundly hammered by Liverpool. Um but a lot of good teams will get beat by Liverpool this year. Um, Chelsea exactly. It's you know it's just one of those things. But the the club Bruges match, I think we'd have we'd have struggled to find a better um, opponent to start our Champions League campaign against, judging by the ninety minutes that that was on show um, at Bruges away. I mean, they were a bang average side. Um, I know they're not doing well in the in the Belgian Pro League at the moment. They've not started the season well. I think they've took seven points from six games. But So we were expecting them not to be kind of in great form. But 
they just, again, looked super devoid of confidence. The first goal was kind of comical from a defensive point of view. We've got, uh, we changed Danny Simpson for right fullback um, to Hernandez, and he's got a cannon of a throw. So you've got long throws coming in from both sides. And the first goal, you know, he's just headed it on. The a central defender's just headed it past his own goalkeeper to the back post where Mark Albrighton's got to tap him because his mark has lost him completely. So from that point on, you know, it was it was a bit of plain sailing. It was nice to get a confidence boost in win under the belt. People thought, you know, what about the relatively quick turnaround kind of Thursday, uh, Wednesday night to, to Saturday afternoon? But it didn't seem to affect us too much. The players have probably all got a rest now. Anyone who played yesterday probably won't start with the exception of the goalkeeper against Chelsea in midweek. And then, yeah, hopefully we can take that confidence up to Manchester United, who's our next home game and a week on Saturday, um, on Saturday, sorry, in the early kickoff. So really kind of got to be motivated to go and put the boot in on Mourinho again, given what we did to, to his Chelsea team last season. Well, the form there, and I think you've got every chance. Just uh, lastly, some Burnley fans um, remember the game we played against you in the Premier League where Matt Taylor missed the penalty and you went down the other end and scored it. Felt like a bit of a sliding doors moment for us in which if the penalty goes in, it could have all been different. Leicester might have been relegated instead of us. You wouldn't have won the Premier League. Who knows what would have happened to us. Is that a, a defining factor, a defining moment that Leicester fans ever think about? Or is it just us that, that still wonder about that penalty in the box? Yeah, I don't know if it's that game in particular. Obviously, it holds much more significance to Burnley fans, I think, in the context of that season than it does for Leicester fans. It just seemed like... a a start of a well one of a, a chain of events really um around that time when we were both really scrapping down there at the, the foot of the premier league i think the game that sticks out for me the most is um we played west ham i think it was 10 games before the end of the season and we were dead and buried at that point we were really really struggling um and that was the game where we went one nil down i think we were and we we won it in the last minute um andy king came on and literally scrapped a, a, it was a two-yard tap in it was a hurricane special um, and just put us to, uh, we won the game by a single goal margin and that really seemed to galvanise the team and then we kicked on um, and, you know, it all just went from there. So, yeah, Burnley game probably what forms part of that chain, but, yeah, certainly not a, a huge turning point for us. I think the West Ham game probably holds a bit more significance for Leicester fans. Fair enough. Well, thanks for taking the time to, to chat to us. I'm sure um, all Burnley fans wish Leicester well. It's good to see one of the less... Um less fancy teams do well put it that way yeah thank you very much hopefully you know hopefully it kind of continues that way and hopefully you guys can stick around because I do enjoy a trip to Burnley so I'm looking forward to going to Turf more later on this year brilliant cheers Jim no worries so that was Jim our team Leicester fan thanks for his views on Burnley's performance and Leicester's performance good luck to Leicester for the rest of the season and all that, but Burnley back in action Monday night at Turf Moor, the Monday night football in front of the Sky Cameras, the glamour game that is Burnley v Watford, the neutrals must be looking forward to this one. Um, Watford beat Manchester United on Sunday, James, so they're coming into the game on a pretty good run of form, but on paper this is the sort of game that we must be targeting as one where we can get points. Yeah, I mean, as it stands, we've probably been saying this about every game, aren't we? <laughs> That's against a team that's you know not in the the running for top five, but no, this is a huge game for us, and uh, obviously on Sky as well, it, it's really key that we we try and make a good impression, and uh, you know, I think get something that's particularly at home to you know put the fans back in a good mood because you know when I was looking through tweets for tweet of the week, there's a lot there where people are starting to question Dash, which 
I think it's pretty unbelievable considering you know what he's done at the club. But at the same time, uh, you know, when people are having those sort of doubts, uh, there's nothing better to sort of remedy them than a dominant home performance. So um, I think it's very key that you know we go out and maybe get something like a a two 0 win, maybe even a three 0 win if we can stretch that far. You know, an Andre Gretzky. <laughs> Steady on my yeah. predictions just yet. Um, Kevin, as James says, it's really important to, to show that we can compete at this level really now after a couple of bad defeats away from home. But what we've done under Dash pretty much since he was appointed is bounce back from disappointments really well. So you must be hoping that we can do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think like James said, this is probably something we're going to say for almost for uh, probably the majority of home games like, other than the, the, those teams that are going to be right at the top but this is the type of game we need to be targeting to to get a win out of um, and yeah I think something, I, something I've something i pointed out on a few occasions Sean Dyche teams tend not to be um, tend not to go on, on runs in, in any particular obviously we have the big unbeaten run last season but I, I think we t- we tend not to get carried away by a win, uh, and in the same respect, we tend not to um, get too negatively affected by by defeats. Um, I know actually some of the, some of our best results have actually been following on from uh, some of our worst defeats uh, under Dice. So I think he's very good at um, keeping keeping the squad focused on on the next game and and forgetting the last game as soon as it's happened, pretty much. Um, so I think that that's going to be. Uh, Hopefully, should be a big boost for us this season because we are going to have many more uh, disappointing results than we are positive ones. Um, so if if Dice can do that effectively, that's going to be really crucial to us this season. Um, yeah, you you hope that we can uh, we, we can come out and, and put in a, a solid performance here. Um, and this is the sort of game you, you would hope that we can get um, get the midfield uh, control the game a bit more. Hopefully, get Andre Gray into the game. Uh, the game a bit more. I hope that we can start off well because after a few, um, obviously our last home home game was was very disappointing uh, in terms of performance and the, the end uh, the end conclusion to the game. And then we've had two very very poor results uh, away from homes. And there is a concern that if it starts to uh, if if Watford begin uh, playing very dominant football in the first half, that that could negatively affect uh, the the players and the fans. Um, so I think it's quite important um, to, to get a to get to to start the game uh, the game very well here, which is something we didn't get to do against Hull, um, and that continued throughout the, the whole game really. So I really hope we can we can start the game positively. If we can start the game positively, um, and and get through a first half hour of, of playing good positive football, um, being dominant in, in in stages at least, I think we can uh, we've got a very good chance of getting a good result. Yeah, I, I agree. I think what I really want to see from this game is Burnley on the front foot. I think the last two games, Hull and Leicester, there's been too much sitting in, trying to keep it tight, maybe try and nick one. And all right, we've got results in the Championship doing that, but I, I don't think that's a plan for the Premier League that's really going to work. And I don't think, um, hopes the opposition make a mistake like Liverpool did 
score an early goal and then defend for the rest of the match. I don't think that's the plan either. So what I really want to see is a coherent attacking plan that can create some chances and hopefully score some goals. Because at the moment I'm a bit concerned that we're just not going to um, produce enough in attack. Um, we'll round off then with predictions as ever on the Non-Ain Ever podcast. We'll start with you, James. Give us a scoreline for Burnley v Watford at Surf more on Monday. 1-0 to us. We're, we're going to just scrape it. It'll be like Hull, but we, this time we won't concede the last-minute free kick. I, th- I think there might be goals in this one. I think Watford, obviously, caused problems for Manchester United. They've got two good strikers. Another team that'll probably play 4-4-2, actually. So I'm going to say one all for this one. Just don't remind me they've got two good strikers. <laughs> Scaring me already. Um, and finally, then, Kevin, give us your prediction. Well... I've got a very bad feeling about this. We're desperately trying to make it like like Natalie's here, <laughs> even though she's not. Um, despite what I've just said about putting in a, bad, a positive performance, I, I don't think it's going to happen. It'd be nice to happen, but obviously Watford were fantastic against uh, Manchester United. We've been struggling. They've got some very good strikers. I, I, I think I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be at least three 0 down within the first half hour. To be honest, um, <laughs> we're gonna we're, we're gonna. I think we're going to have even less possession than we did against Liverpool. Um, and <laughs> we're, we're, I, I'm going to go for a... If we're lucky, a 5-0 defeat. That's a solid commitment to keeping the reverse psychology going, even in the absence of Natalie, who you would never guess has been away. We've managed to fill in quite well for Natalie not being here. Natalie will be back next week, hopefully. Um, but thanks to James and Kevin for joining me this week. If you've got any feedback, comments, questions, anything about the podcast, please do feel free to get in touch. We love hearing from listeners. You can email us on podcast at net. You can also get us on Twitter at net. We are still seeking a sponsor. Please do get in touch if you would like to sponsor us. Thank you briefly. Thanks to Rick, who does our artwork, which you can see via social media and on the website, net. As always, thanks to Adam who does our editing as well, although I think Kevin is editing this mess of a podcast this week. (laughs) But that's it for this week. We'll be a bit later next week because obviously we don't play it until Monday night. But this has been the Non-End of a Podcast. I've been Jamie Smith and this is goodbye. Can I just say, we forgot forgot the the one final uh, Natalie uh, trademark. (laughs) Go on. Oh, shut up, James. (laughs) leave them alone for five minutes and the whole flipping show implodes the talk sport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year as football fans we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds however When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.